Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath it. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and what we're doing this time round, well... It's mainly going to be about All Quiet on the Western Front, but I think it will be interesting to compare it to another piece of pop culture that came out the same weekend, which is called SAS Rogue Heroes. If we are going to engage, first let me give you a small warning. I am a particular kind of soldier, the commander. I trained with other men like myself. Some live only to fight and kill the enemy. Others are careless of uniforms and will fight anyone at all. So, there's a lot to unpack here, and clearly All Quiet on the Western Front is based on World War I. The SAS were created in World War II. So yeah, we're talking about wars a fair bit as well in, in this particular episode. And it's also going to lead me towards basically current events, the, the world of Ukraine. After months of preparations, the Russian president Vladimir Putin has launched a major military operation against Ukraine. I mean, it's not hard to sort of draw a line about these sort of anti-war movies and situations with what we're literally seeing on TV and the Internet right now. So a lot to pack into this particular episode. And let's start with, if you like, the publishing history of these sorts of things. So Eric Maria Remarque is a proud German man who ended up serving in World War I. He actually joined up and was in the army starting in 1917. So the war had already been going on for a while. And he ended up getting seriously wounded with shrapnel. He got shrapnel peppered pretty much all over his body, uh, multiple limbs were hurt. He was able to make a full recovery, but it took time. So once he received his injuries, he saw no further action in the war. I believe he did a little bit of training right at the end of the war, but he had literally been in the trenches. He had fired a rifle in anger and he had seen the consequences of war all around him. As we all know, the war ends in November 1918. Our guns have stopped. You don't think? Maybe the war's over. He then gets on with his life like so many other people, and he starts writing in the 1920s. His first sort of formal published work was actually produced in 1927. And what's interesting is that's the same year he actually wrote All Quiet on the Western Front. Obviously, it was in German. <laughs> I feel obliged to say that. And so it took him two years to get a publisher for what has become 
the seminal anti-war story. Now, I'm sure there are other anti-war stories that predate All Quiet on the Western Front in 1929, but this is the granddaddy of all of them. If you like, almost the problem with All Quiet on the Western Front is it was so powerful and caused such a stir that almost everybody who's written a book about war, but with framing it almost like what's the point of all of this, uses All Quiet on the Western Front as a framing point. So nowadays, it kind of looks a little cliched, and yet it did it first, generations before some of these other books, movies, etc. What the book fundamentally does is the central character is clearly based semi-autobiographically on Eric, but his name is Paul Baumer, is the name of the central character. And we see him as a young man, the flower of youth with all his friends at school. And they're basically being told by their teachers about how it is their duty to fight for their country, that this war is a good thing and an exciting thing. And, and you get the feeling of this kind of combination of bloodlust and patriotism and duty and honor and all these very old-fashioned words that don't really work in a modern war. If this sounds vaguely familiar, this is kind of like the starting point of a true story that was turned into a Hollywood movie, Born on the Fourth of July, where you get to see the characters played by Tom Cruise, you get to see Tom Cruise see himself be enamored by this Marine doing a kind of re recruitment talk while he's in high school. First off, young men, let's get one thing straight. There is nothing prouder as a United States Marine. And let's be honest, this idea of the nation explaining to the people that it is their duty to sign up and call up and so on and so forth, we can argue that that's old-fashioned, that, that things have moved on a little bit, but has it? So again, sort of moving forwards into the modern world in Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky as I've already, I, if you want to go back into my podcast, I did some roundabout the start of the Russian-Ukrainian war, or the, the new phase of it, shall we say. I did one specifically on Ukraine. I did another one on logistics, and I brought in Ukraine again. And if you look back at them, I said that the Russians were going to have a torrid time because they've got a problem with their logistics, that things are going to sort of break down, that... The Ukrainians are, provided they're getting fresh, basically, equipment and things like that from the West, they'll be able to push the Russians back. They have all the home advantages, so on and so forth. How did I know all this stuff? Is it because I've got a crystal ball? No. Is it because I work for MI6? Maybe. Clearly a terrible spy. Uh, no, no, I don't, for the record. No, the answer is because history. This is one of the things why people argue we should keep reading history, because we can learn about the future from the past. Not every time, and it's awful when people sort of say, oh, well, yes, that thing that happened 500 years ago, yeah, that's happening in our country today. No, it really isn't, because for starters, you're unlikely to live in a monarchy and all these other things. Nobody's dying a plague anymore, although we've obviously had COVID. You know, there are these sort of superficial similarities, but the, the deeper dive into this is when you look at invading countries, you need to have a pretty good reason, you need a pretty good army, and you need a pretty good amount of supplies if you're marching through enemy territory, and none of those things Putin had, and whenever you look at history and it's like, yes, so we don't have enough troops, we're in enemy territory, and morale's sinking, and we can't resupply the troops fast enough, doesn't end well for that invading force, really, and particularly with the advent of modern weaponry, 
that's a real issue. So I'm sure I'll be touching on that a little bit later on. But the thing about Vladimir Zelensky is he's a comedian. He is media trained. And yeah, he's played an absolute blinder when it comes to the rallying of Ukraine. I thank everyone who acts in support of Ukraine, in support of freedom, but the war continues. This is one of the things where back in the 1990s, we called it the Ukraine. And Ukraine said, could you stop doing that? Because the usually means you're a part of something else, like the West Coast of America, but it's obviously part of America. It makes it sound like Ukraine's a district of Russia. It isn't. It's a separate country, but they speak similar languages. They're not the same. And a lot of people in Ukraine do speak Russian. And there's lots of people where they got cousins and aunts and what have you on one side of the border, or the other side of the border. There is a lot of similarity. But I'm telling you right now, again, looking at history, this is going to define Ukraine. And whereas in 2020, they were cousins. Now, there'll be bitter enemies, and Ukraine will be very keen to define any delineation between Ukrainian heritage and Russian heritage. And there's just been a huge wedge driven between these two nations created by Vladimir Putin. The other thing, of course, is there's been all these bombings and cruise missile attacks on just civilian infrastructure and, and energy infrastructure of Ukraine. Last Monday, the starting gun for a concentrated effort by the Kremlin to knock out Ukraine's energy infrastructure. Again, look through history. There is no time in history where mass bombardment of a civilian population has ever made that country give up. We could be talking about Spain during the Spanish Civil War. We could be talking about Britain with the Blitz. The people of London with one voice would say to Hitler, you have committed every crime under the sun. Where you have been the least resisted, there you have been the most brutal. We do not expect to hit without being hit back. And we intend with every week that passes to hit harder. We could be talking about the Allies bombing Germany. They didn't quit after the firebombing of Dresden. That was terrible and awful. Thousands of people died. But it didn't break Germany's morale. The most heavily bombed place on planet Earth was Vietnam during the Vietnam War. More tonnage of bombs were dropped on Vietnam than the whole of the tonnage of bombs in World War II on all sides. And yet the Vietnamese won that war. So there is not nearly enough ordnance going off to even cower the Ukrainian population. But it is obviously awful and terrible, and it's undoubtedly a war crime. But it's not going to work. It's a sign of desperation from Putin. So slight sidebar there. But in the meantime, you've got Zelensky. He's got a very good reason to say this is why you should fight. If you want to protect your homes, you need to sign up to the Ukrainian army and you need a fight. And whereas war has always been a dirty business, you can get behind protecting your homeland. So going all the way back to All Quiet on the Western Front, this, this idea of like this sort of great enterprise to protect Germany from the aggressive French and all this kind of stuff. I mean, Germany started the war, but the point is, it's a story as old as time. And as one war journalist said during the Vietnam War, they said, I can tell you the realities of what it's like to be a soldier, but I can't take away the glamour of what it is to be a soldier. The reason why there are so many war stories out there is if drama is about serious stakes, then you can't get more serious than life or death. Or the potential takeover of your country. And so that's why 
we will always be interested in war stories in in one form or another you know some of them are more militaristic than others you know get into the nuts and bolts of like guns and tanks and all that kind of stuff and others are sort of the wars in the background but death is round the corner at every available opportunity so all quite on the western front starts with paul being sort of swayed into this and then he and his friends join up Römer Paul Wiesengrund 53 geboren 18.11.99 korrekt jawohl offiziell and what you get in the movie is sorry book first is you see Paul realize that war is hell and obviously we all know that now but seeing this sort of mechanized warfare and what i loved about the book when you are doing things in english or history about world war 1 in in england for starters there's all the war poetry gas gas quick boys and ecstasy of fumbling and all that kind of stuff okay they're good but poetry only gets you so far and the other one is you get something like rc sheriff's journey's end now rc sheriff was also a veteran of world war 1 and this is all about a bunch of british soldiers in the trenches kind of waiting to go over the top you'll stay where you are for as long as you can when's it expected day after tomorrow and he very much felt passionately about this and again it's an anti-war story although it was a play first rather than a book and i never liked journey's end because it's just people moaning in a trench for an hour and a half not a lot happens you actually have to know a fair amount about world war 1 to understand why are they there what are they doing why can't they go over the topics so you kind of have to do homework before you go any further than that and they don't really ever go anywhere and there's a lot of world war 1 literature which is basically sitting in trenches not so with all quiet on the western front of course the trenches are there it's on the western front but we see actual movement we see them going across battlefields we see them going into no man's land we see them behind the trench lines and sort of having breaks and indeed there's a point at which paul goes back home and just realizes nothing's changed in the town but it feels completely different because he's completely different and he confronts his old teacher and he talks to people in the bars and sort of trying to say you don't understand how bad it is so you know the details but you don't know the big picture we got to trust in the kaiser and all this kind of stuff so it's incredibly powerful well written it's a relatively short book as well it's just it ticks all the boxes if you don't want to read tolstoy's war and peace war and peace by leo tolstoy volume 1 part 1 1805 Chapter 1 Well, prince, Genoa and Lucca are now nothing more than the Apennines. Then good news, you know, we're talking about uh, 120 pages rather than 400 pages and actually there's some different scenes in it rather than just sitting in trenches all the time like journeys end. It's just the very best of being able to take you to a time and place and get yourself to see the horrors of war through the eyes of a soldier in World War 1, obviously a German soldier. So the thing is, we follow Paul throughout the war and spoiler for a book that's nearly 100 years old, the reason why it's called All Quiet on the Western Front is Paul dies at the very end of the book. He is shot by a sniper and he just sort of like lies there and they they say in the book about how he finally looks like he's at peace. He doesn't look like he's dead or in any pain. He looks like he's resting, but he's sort of finally going to sleep and the irony is that he is killed on a day that is so quiet in terms of 
combat between both sides that it is referred to in the official reports as all quiet on the Western Front, which is a very wonderful hammer blow at the end of this story. 1929 is when that came out in Germany. In German. In 1930, America's making it in an English language movie. You come at the right moment, Palmer. Just at the right moment. And as if to prove all I have said, here is one of the first to go. Which wins Best Picture Oscar. Now, that movie has been used for many, many years. At the time, it was the greatest war movie of all time. It was an anti-war film. It, no expense was spared in it, but it has not aged well. Sound came into Hollywood in 1928, so literally everybody in that movie were trained how to be actors during the silent era. There were still silent movies coming out in 1930. Not every theatre had the audio experience. And so the acting by modern standards, particularly some of the teachers, is very... Now, I can't do silent movie stuff on a podcast. It's kind of the antithesis. But they're waving their arms around wildly, and it's all from a modern viewer it's very exaggerated a lot of it doesn't work the, the battle scenes are good but again we're talking about 1930 relatively bloodless it's as gritty and as tough and as honest as it could be in 1930 but again to a modern viewer not close enough and then we get the nazis in germany and what's quite telling is one of the first german language books that adolf hitler bans is all quiet on the western front so i think we can all agree that if a book has been banned by the nazis it's a good book so eric maria remark he was now working in i think it was a rubber tire factory and he was not a Nazi. You know, his point was, war is hell. We don't ever want to have another war. And so I guess if you're a militaristic fascist regime, you really don't want that to be out there. And yet this was a highly regarded book around the world. And now you're kind of condemning the, the artist behind it. So obviously after World War II, everybody can buy All Quiet on the Western Front again in Germany. And then in the 1970s, so... Basically, 50 years after the first version of it, we get a TV movie series about All Quiet on the Western Front in America. It stars Ernest Borgnine. He ends up winning an Emmy for that. This story is to be neither an accusation nor a confession, and least of all, an adventure. For death is not an adventure to those who stand face to face with it. It is far better in every possible way. It's now in colour, for starters. It's, it is... It's grittier, still not as full-blooded as it could be because it's got to be on TV. So it's good. Interestingly, even when I was going to school, we were being shown the black and white 1930s film and not the more modern TV movie. Maybe because it wasn't available on video as everything had to be in the 1980s. And so then when I found out in late 2021 that Netflix was redoing All Quiet on the Western Front and... For the very first time, it was going to be in German. So it came out in October 2022. That is 93 years after it was originally published and 95 in terms of when it was, when it was first written. And yet this is the first German language version of one of the most famous German books of all time. So that shows you how important it is. So I was so excited about this because I could tell that they were going to put effort into this. And then when I saw the first trailer for it, where they literally use some of the words from the novel, the opening of the novel, that really spoke to me as well. And the visuals were just stunning. Again, can't do that on a podcast. But obviously, if you have Netflix, 
check out All Quiet on the Western Front. Now, it's two and a half hours. It is beautifully shot. It is amazingly well acted, but it is grim. There's no doubt about it. We finally get all the bloodshed and all the terror and all the all the awfulness of this war writ large on the screen. And indeed, it's actually been nominated for an Oscar. It's up for foreign language movie at the time of recording. I don't know if they, they're going to win or not. I really think they should. I mean, it's the effort has been put in there. If you want to talk about historical accuracy for a moment, obviously all the uniforms, etc., are very accurate. In the book and in this movie, they're fighting the French, not the British, and the French uniform's all accurate. You get to see French flamethrower units. You also get to see the char French tanks. They weren't actually particularly well liked. Almost every time you see a tank in World War One, it is a British, usually Mark IV tank. So you know the ones with the sort of the tracks on both sides, and there's no turret to it. Well, these French tanks were kind of long, almost like a shoebox, and then sticking out right at the front was a very large cannon and they weren't used for very long in the war because that cannon made them very front heavy and they weren't very good at getting over the trench works but to see those in a movie i don't know i mean there's probably a few french films from the 1930s that have got them in but in terms of hollywood or shall we say international image of french tanks by the end of the war the french actually had the best tanks in world war one the british invented them Germans, interestingly, did try and create tanks. You know, famous for their tanks in World War II, but in World War I, they only had one type of tank, and it was awful. The absolute worst tank, though, of World War I was the Russian... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Imperial attempted a tank called the Tsar tank, or nicknamed the Tsar tank. Only one was ever built. It never saw any service. And please, I encourage you to have a look at it online. Because the best I can describe it is imagine a giant armor-plated penny farthing. <laughs> I'm not making this up. It's incredibly high. It's got this Ferris wheel-like wheels. Obviously, with the spokes there, so they're much harder to hit with, with machine gun fire. But the actual engine is on the small wheel or small tracks at the back of the tank. Now, it's high up, so it can shoot down into, into the trenches. But the problem is it sticks out like a sore thumb, and it didn't have enough engine power to sort of, like, push this nightmare it is almost like a steampunk kind of invention it is ridiculous it is awful no wonder it never saw any service but there we go however what's interesting is that this new version of all quiet on the western front is actually quite different to the book a lot of people haven't really talked about that now i don't have a problem with the changes because why not change things around if it was an absolute straight retelling it would be absolutely acceptable, but we've kind of already seen that twice before. So I've mentioned how we follow Paul all the way through. For starters, Paul never goes home. We never get to see him go back and condemn those teachers or the local townsfolk. And also, we get a very powerful opening, which is completely new, where we see some German soldiers, they're fighting, they all die. You then see them being stripped of their clothing. And so that when Paul is given his uniform, you know he's literally stepping into dead men's shoes. Very powerful. That is historically accurate, but it was never in the original book. The other thing is we don't see that time has been strangely compressed so that everything is leading up to will Paul make it till we get the armistice in on the 11th hour of the 11th day, November 1918. That's not in the book either. Like I said, the, the meaning of All Quiet on the Western Front is slightly different. And so this race against time, I'm less in love with it. It doesn't ruin the movie, but it's just there's a part of me thinking, OK, fine, that's what you're going to do. But there's this whole other bit where we get to see a group of German sort of delegation talking to the French delegation about when are we actually going to end this war? When is the armistice going to happen? This is led by Daniel Bruhl, who is the amazing German actor who's been in so many different things, including Inglorious. Jem said politely, the Quentin Tarantino movie, he's the sniper in that. He's also in Driven about the Nicky Lauda story. It's good for discipline. You have to stay within the rules, stick to regulations, suppress the ego. It helps with the racing. With James Hunt, he plays Nicky Lauda. He's just brilliant in everything, and he's brilliant in this as well. And it is interesting to look at it from the point of view of the politicians and not just the soldiers. Again, not in the original story. So it's different. It's substantially different. Indeed, I guess if they made that many changes in the Lord of the Rings movies to the original Lord of the Rings, there might have been uproars going, this is quite structurally different and lots of different things are going on. But it is sensational. I encourage you to watch it. It's a hard watch, but it's an essential watch. And as we're watching people sort of fighting through the mud and the blood, there's a little part of you that obviously right now is sort of taking over. That's happening right now in Ukraine. Just one side thing, I saw some footage from Telegram. Now, obviously, some of this stuff can or can't be confirmed, where basically when Ukrainians took over a Russian position, a recently captured one near Kherson, that they found a heavy machine gun, which was from World War One. It looked like a Vickers machine gun. Think of that big, thick barrel. It has a little almost shield with a slit in it to sort of peek through as you're firing it. Is it an effective weapon? Absolutely. That sort of heavy machine gun can fire 300 large caliber rounds every minute. But we are more than a century on from that in terms of technology. And if Russia 
one of the allegedly most advanced and greatest armies in the world is reduced to using kit from World War One more than a century ago, you're going to lose. That's, that's not a good sign. I'll also give you one other technical thing I've managed to find out about what's been going on in Ukraine. So we all know about the AK-47. The reason why we know about the AK-47 is it is the most mass-produced firearm in world history. More than 100 million of these have ever been produced. But the thing is, it's called 47 because it came out in 1947. It was the standard Russian equipment, Soviet equipment for decades, but then it was replaced with the AK-74, which came out in 1974. And that is, to this day, the standard firearm in the Russian army. The AK-74 uses a smaller, lighter bullet, which means it doesn't drop as much, it doesn't have quite as much penetrating power, but it's more accurate. The AK-47 is incredibly reliable. I believe it's only got five moving parts in the whole thing. You can literally bury it in mud, dig it up again, it will still fire, but by comparison an M16 will jam. AK-47s are good, but they're not very accurate. But here's the thing. Let's say two-thirds of your army is armed with AK-74s, and the new guys coming in have the AK-47s. They have, as you might have noticed in my sentence earlier, they've got different size bullets. They've got different ammunition. You need two different supplies of ammunition now, and are you sure you're sending the right ammo to the right unit? Because if you get it wrong, those bullets are useless. They cannot fire them. And seeing that Russian logistics are already a mess, I'm telling you right now, that's going to have implications on the battlefield. I'm going all over the place on this, this particular episode. I hope you're enjoying it. But then we come on to the SAS rogue hero side of things. So after feeling drained but exhilarated and awe-inspired by All Quiet on the Western Front, I'd been looking forward again for months when I first heard, it's like, oh, the BBC, I think it's in conjunction with some American company as well. Maybe stars, I could be making that up. But the point is, it's a joint venture, which means money's being put into it. And that happened between HBO and the BBC to produce Band of Brothers, one of the greatest TV shows of all time. Amazing recreation of a group of 82nd Airborne paratroopers going throughout from their training through the whole of World War II. It's an amazing series if you haven't seen it. You men did an excellent job last night. I'm, uh, I'm proud. I'm proud. I just saw Colonel Sink. He's proud too. In fact, he's so proud he wants you to do another patrol across the river tonight. So I was looking forward to this, and this was written by Stephen Knight. So he's the guy behind Peaky Blinders. You might listen to my episode on Peaky Blinders. He's generally good. I don't like Peaky Blinders. So when I saw the trailer for it from the BBC, it's sort of like, this looks good. And let's face it, this is the story of the founding of the SAS, the Special Air Service, an elite group of military personnel. So they're special forces. And they were basically the first formal special. There are other specializations that existed before, like the U.S. Rangers, for example, though, fun fact on the U.S. Rangers, they're actually founded during the Seven Years' War, so they were founded by the British and fought originally for the British Army, not for the Americans. That would come about a generation later. Anyway, the SAS 
are, if you like, the foundation of modern special forces. Indeed, most of the world's special forces either deliberately say or pretend this didn't happen, but it did happen, base themselves on the SAS. It's an amazing story. It's all set in the deserts of North Africa. That's where they learnt their trade. They ended up destroying more airplanes than actual anti-aircraft guns and the RAF because they would sort of sneak into bases and then just blow up all the airplanes or just knock them to pieces, just absolutely smash them to, to pieces so they couldn't fly the airplanes. We will destroy more enemy airplanes on the ground than the RAF will destroy in the air. It's a great story and Yet, and yet, Stephen Knight clearly, because of the huge success of Peaky Blinders, has now created, in the words of The Guardian, khaki blinders. And it's just as irritatingly modern, and it doesn't need to be. This is a story of incredible bravery, unbelievable exploits, the sort of things where it's like that, that was made up for Hollywood. No, that really happened. You don't need to have them flying around in airplanes to modern rock music. You don't need this sort of kind of clever editing that is very de rigueur at the moment, but, you know, it's not really how you expect to see the 1940s. I'm not saying it should be filmed like The Longest Day or The Sands of Iwo Jima or, or something where clearly we've moved on in terms of technical expertise, and a lot of money has been spent on this. You know, the uniforms are right, there's lots of kit in the background, there's clearly some visual effects going on as well, like in Tobruk they've got the Stuka bombers coming down, you can hear their sirens going, you can see the explosions going off in the distance. You know, money's been spent on this, and it's never disrespectful respectful, if you like, to the real people involved in it, and it shows you them warts and all, but the quantity of swearing in it is just annoying. It's like, yes, of course, these are big boys in a war. I'm sure they use bad language, and there's a reason why we don't see bad language in the movies from the 50s and 60s, because it wasn't allowed. But there's a point at which, can we stop? You know, if you used half the bad language, it would actually have more impact. But if it's almost used like punctuation, it's just irritating. And that's kind of very modern. I do not believe that it was that sweary back in the 1940s. Of course, people would have used bad language, but I don't believe they would have used it quite so constantly. So the whole thing just feels unnecessarily modern. I've been talking to a friend of mine who's a real World War II buff, and he was sort of saying, he basically put that to one side and he goes, but yeah, isn't it great that we're actually getting a story about British heroes rather than American heroes? And also we get to see North Africa and almost everything sort of is taking, takes place in Europe. All those things I agree with him, but I said, but I shouldn't have to be irritated by it at the same time. Couldn't they have just calmed it down a little bit? Just because I mean, this is one of the examples about why Steven Spielberg is so great, because he doesn't use the same tone for Jurassic Park that he does on Schindler's List, which, by the way, he was editing in the evening Jurassic Park while he was in Poland filming Schindler's List. So they were both in his head at the same time, and I think a lesser director would have kind of blurred a little bit those two. Instead, he had clear visions for both, and he produces both, and they are both genre-defining films. Well done, Steven. However, I don't think we need the Peaky Blinders style. It's, it, you know, it, it did make Peaky Blinders stand out from other gangster flicks or gangster stories from the 1920s and 30s, okay? I, I give them that, but do you, if you're just doing it again, moving on 10 years to the 1940s, no. 
And particularly after I've seen the care and attention how you can modernize a story into the 21st century with All Quiet on the Western Front, it really paled in comparison. It looked amateurish, to be completely honest. So I think you can tell. And it's been a while. It's been a while since I've ripped on something and said, I don't like it very much. And now I'm doing it with essay. The thing is, though, because there's not, not a lot else on at the moment. There's been this huge glut. Rings of Power. House of Dragons, Andor, etc. Loved all of those things, but at the moment there's a little bit less on TV, and I do like World War II, and, you know, the SAS is an interesting story, but it's like I will endure the TV series rather than this is my thing. And it's a shame because, you know, I'm a middle-aged dad. I'm the target market. You know, they, people talk about, like, the dad market, and, yeah, I do like rock, and I do like a bit of World War II, and obviously I like history, so... Yeah, I'm kind of living the cliche a little bit as well. But the thing about that is it it just doesn't. It's annoying. And I don't know, who, this is the thing, I don't know who it's for. If if the dads are a little bit irritated by it, I'm not entirely sure my teenage kids even want to sit down and watch a World War II drama. You know, they've heard of the SAS. They don't care about the SAS. The SAS. <laughs> Netflix themselves did a version about the Iranian embassy siege, where which was famously, it was stormed by the SAS. We're talking about 1980 here. And that's a really good recreation of it. And again, Netflix is kind of cool, and they put the money in, as I've just talked about with All Quiet on the Western Front. But with this version, it's called Six Days. Again, if you've got Netflix, check it out. It's down to the negotiators to break the deadlock. Or your men will have to storm the embassy. It's a kind of old-fashioned telling. Again, there isn't... So, I mean... It's set in the 1980s. They could be playing a bit of David Bowie in slow motion while they're shooting the terrorists. That's how SAS Rogue Heroes would do it. That's absolutely not how they do it in six days. It's down to the negotiators to break the deadlock. Or your men will have to storm the embassy. So, yeah, if you want to see some cool SAS stuff, watch Six Days. If you want to see the best thing about war at the moment, or the most powerful thing about war at the moment, watch All Quiet on the Western Front. And I guess if you've got nothing better to do, or if you want to see, is Jem right? Is this all a bit of a car crash? Then check out SAS Rogue Heroes. Uh. <laughs> so I'm going to be a bit more serious in a moment, but as always, I'm going to say, hey guys, please click subscribe. Please give us a review if you can. I'm at Jem Daducci on Twitter. You know, now that Musk is in charge of Twitter, we'll see how long this actually is a viable option. But I do tweet out when I'm actually running the next version of this podcast. So please, you know, uh, shout out to Ollie, who always retweets my stuff. Thank you very much. I have noticed that, by the way. Thank you very much. But if other people could retweet it, if you could tell somebody, literally tell a mate going, I enjoy this podcast. It's sort of about pop culture, but also sort of about history. I think you'll like it, too. Please help us to spread the word. That's much appreciated. But then I'm going to sort of go back to Ukraine and again using history to sort of prove a point. Because what is so distressing right now is people are losing their lives. The civilian population of Ukraine has been brutalized. There are all these stories that when the Ukrainians retake areas, there's horrible stories of maltreatment of the of the local civilian population. There is no doubt about it. The Russian army is the bad guys in this. They are just destroying stuff. 
I always said to my kids, and I think I said this before, you should never hate a people. You should perhaps hate the government for what they do. And I hate Putin at the moment. Obviously, most Russians are lovely, and Russia is being sort of set up by Putin over the last 20 years. It's impossible to come up with political opposition. There will not be rioting on the streets about this. But for the Russian soldiers, they know what's right and what's wrong. And just going in and stealing stuff and murdering civilians, no, unacceptable. I personally would say you could expect no mercy if you're being rounded up, but the Ukrainians seem to be better than I am at that. And, you know, I tip my hat to you. That's not to say that Ukraine hasn't carried out various things that could be considered, you know, war crimes or unnecessarily brutal, but it's one of these things where, okay, let's say they've done 5% of the mistakes, but 95% of the mistakes are on the Russian side. But the thing is right now, there will be no peace. Why do I say that? Because Putin can't afford to stop now. If Putin stopped now, he is clearly lost, and now he's lost his credibility, and he could be gone next, which, personally, I hope is the case, but, you know, he's going to try and look after himself. And then from the Ukrainian side, obviously, they're suffering more than the Russian people, but they still got Russians on their territory. And they're winning. There was the massive expansion of territory around Kharkiv. They were capturing other key places in the Far East, Donbass region. They have been getting closer and closer towards Kherson. We're now into the autumnal period, which is very heavy rain, which means very thick mud. So everything's going to slow down in Ukraine. Then when it gets super cold, yes, the ground is now hard enough for tanks to roll around and artillery, etc. But human beings find it difficult to operate in minus 20 degrees Celsius. And the thing there is, there's no doubt that the Ukrainians are going to be getting better winter equipment than the Russians are. I hate to say it, but probably there'll be thousands of Russians who, if they don't die, they'll be going down with frostbite because they're not going to be looked after by their superiors. They are basically cannon fodder. And how can I say all this stuff? Because again, just look at history. You know, look at how Napoleon underestimated the Russian winters back in the day in the 1800s. Yeah, obviously, it's the same thing with the, the Germans in World War II. And it's one of these horrible things that because both sides can't afford to stop, there will be more war. But I don't know. And the history doesn't show. Well, well what history does show is that no matter how brutal and horrible and terrible, you know, the most destructive war in history was World War II, 60 million dead. World War I? When I was at university, I was told 10 million. I now see at the end of All Quiet on the Western Front, the number has now been officially moved up to 17 million. That is a lot of dead people. But even those huge wars that tore apart whole continents, eventually people sat down to have some kind of peace negotiations. So peace will come. It can't come soon enough, but it can't come at the expense of Ukraine having no power, no agency moving forwards and they know that and they will keep fighting until they feel that they can get a decent deal around the negotiating table right now if you were to say jem what's the quickest way to do it i would say an oligarch not because they they're doing it for the right things but because they basically want to winter in in marseille and they want their luxury yacht back thank you very much if they were to grab putin shoigu that's the minister of defense and a couple of generals as well let's sort of grab five key people stick them on a plane to the hague and get them tried for war crimes and then they get to be the new president of, of russia that would be the quickest way that we could get there 
like I say, the Russian population is incapable of rising up against Putin, but it, it's more likely to be a palace coup. And it is worth pointing out that 18, 18 oligarchs since the start of this war have died under suspicious circumstances, so they don't feel particularly safe either. And if you want to get really technical, in the 20th century onwards, every time Russia has lost a war, it has led to a massive change of leadership. In case you're wondering, World War One, they lost. They lost World War One. That obviously led to the collapse of the Imperial Russia, and the end of the Afghan War with Russia, which was in the late 1980s. It finally finished. A couple of years later, it's the collapse of the Soviet Union. So, if Putin really is studying his history, he'll know that to be true too. Thanks very much for listening, and as always, another podcast coming soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.